Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. It is Saturday, January 14th, 2017. And we are here tonight with the one and only Monty Montgomery. When they made Monty, they broke the mold. Good thing, too. Yeah, <laughs> we can't handle more than one of you. <laughs> sometimes, I even have, sometimes I even have problems with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Monty, what is going on? Well, I wanted to follow up something that I talked about earlier. Um, mainly because the question came up during this past week. Um, <clears throat> it had to do with, um, you know, how you pay your phone bill, how you uh, buy your groceries, and so on and so forth when, when you're raising the Article 1, Section 10 issue. And <clears throat> um, Article 1, Section 10 doesn't have to do with, it has, it's not about what the tender is. It has to do with what the state can compel. That's what it's about. In other words, if you're asked the question, well, what do you buy your groceries with? Well, I use Federal Reserve notes. Why not? I, voluntar- I voluntarily offer them, and they are voluntarily accepted. If I want to open a court case, they want to be, I pay them with Federal Reserve notes voluntarily, and they voluntarily accept them. That's lawful, and it's not in violation of Article 1, Section 10. The only violation of that article and section come about when the state or any of its instrumentalities try to compel you to tender something other than gold and silver coin. So the emphasis is on compel. And that can be direct or indirect. In other words, if they make the com- if their comments made well, it'll wreck your credit rating. Oh, so you are saying you're going to indirectly coerce me? That's a form of compulsion. <clears throat> anyway, that's all I wanted to cover on that. Cool. That's pretty good. So what do we got going? Well, I'm going to leave it open discussion see if anybody has any questions or stories or something and if you do hit star 8 on your phone and we'll call on you okay northern middle Tennessee I believe ah I think they were Go ahead. Okay, I believe that's me. That is you. Um, all right, perfect. Um, well, hello, greetings, shalom, everybody. Uh, 
Lonnie and Ted. Um, anyways, so in light of what you said, um, I can, you know, figure out basically a way to deal with with my creditors in the sense that, well, let's say I do an acceptance or I send I send an acceptance for value or, or and return it back to them and, and inform them that, you know, this needs to be set off. Um, and I am kind of new at this, so forgive me for sounding like a boob. But um, if it comes back and they why? do not... Are you gonna, why, why should I forgive you for that? Are, are you going to beat the crap out of me if I don't? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. No, sir. <laughs> I was looking forward but, to it. I want to watch. Oh, well, goodness. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be hard to get to you. Have you ever seen your? Have you ever seen? No, I'm just kidding. You ever seen your straw man? I'll be out there all day looking for him. No, uh, oh, well, um, no. I've seen myself in the mirror, and I I want to beat the crap out of him. But right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you've just you've just seen your reflection. No, but um, yeah. So so essentially, what? Uh, not in a matter of of. Well, I guess I could, but in a matter of kind of creating the environment by doing a conditional acceptance and putting putting the ball in their court if they end up con, you know doing a counter offer back to me and requesting that hey you need to pay this amount of money well then at that point can I imply to them that hey you are you realize that you're trying to compel me to pay uh with currency other than gold and silver Okay, who's trying to compel you? Who who's doing that? Well, in this in a scenario where I contact, I reach out to some of my creditors or third-party collectors or Okay, there unless they're instrumentalities of the state, that, that the article 1 section 10 doesn't apply. It doesn't apply to you and it doesn't apply to the federal government, it doesn't apply to anyone else because you can do whatever you want under contract law. And when okay, you pay so a fee, yeah, in other words, if you go in as a defendant into a court and they want a fee, a lot of states require that, um, you're going to want to pay it, and you can voluntarily offer Federal Reserve notes, so they can voluntarily accept them. Because what you're doing is, your con. No, it's no different than if you hire somebody to referee a football game or a boxing match. They're entitled to wages for doing performing that service as referee. And that's what you're doing is you're asking the court to act as a, a neutral forum to settle a dispute, and they're entitled to compensation, and you're establishing a contractual relationship there. No contract can exist without consideration. Right. In this case, <clears throat> it's a matter of whether you do it voluntarily or if, you, if you're being compelled. It's a matter, you know, in other words... You have to pick which issues you're going to get into a pissing match over. Gotcha. So it's not something I want to create for my end goal benefit to then kind of get out of it. Um, right. But and then you're saying it's state specific. Uh, Where you have to check. Yeah, you have to check on that because the most of the states now they've unified. Uh, most of the codes that unified most of the uh, civil procedures, but there'll be very small, slight differences. For example, just recently, um, 
<clears throat> the statutes in Idaho which governed uh, civil procedure, I think there was 10 sections or 10, yeah, under that title. There were 10, no, 10 titles. They repealed half of them. When they repealed them, they went under the judicial power, uh, under the uh, judicial rules of civil procedure. So they're still there. They're just under the, under the judicial power instead of the legislative. And just things like that will vary from state to state. So you need to check your state statutes and rules. 10-4. Awesome. But, 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 but I will say this. Most of the state courts model uh, everything they do on the uh, federal rules. Okay, okay, I get what you're saying. Okay, well, what you're saying. one of the things that brought that about is <clears throat> the rules and the laws are quite a bit different in Louisiana. In Louisiana, in other words, um, you you just don't get a, a license to practice as an attorney in Louisiana. Uh, like you do other states. I mean, you almost have to go back to school because their their system in Louisiana is, is quite a bit different in many ways. And the reason for that is, is because their common law does not go back to England. It goes back to France. Oh, okay. Do the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah. For one and uh, yeah. it's like the <clears throat> southwestern states, their common law goes back to Spain. Alaska's common law goes back to Russia, and you know it, it, it's kind of hodgepodge that way. But Louisiana really stands out because there are quite a few significant differences. So that's the reason they did that: is they started modeling everything on the federal rules, just so it was easier. Okay. Anyway, let's go back to your your thing you were talking about. Well, my thing. Oh, um, yeah. So basically, well, what I was saying is, kind of. I guess it, it it doesn't make any sense if I'm dealing with uh, somebody out of state or a company out of state collection agency from Arizona or somewhere else, because with for them demanding currency or a form of payment. And like you were saying, I can voluntarily use Federal Reserve notes and they'll voluntarily voluntarily accept it. I can't really enforce um enforce that that uh that law that well they're demanding something from me other than gold or silver. Well, okay. What they're gonna I'm go kinda... do is they're gonna go back to the original contract, the application form, whatever it is, that has your signature on it. And banks do this all the time um, <clears throat> when they, you know, on levies and stuff like that. Um, when you bring up constitutional enabling authority on, on what they're doing or trying to do, they don't have it. But where they get it is directly from you through contract law. So they're going to bring up that contract. What, whatever they call it, it's still a contract if it has your dated signature on it. And it's going to have some kind of language in there written by a bar maggot. Um, 
<laughs> that that says you agree to that. And that is the law. So when the court's looking at that, they're they're looking at that as the same way as they would look at a statute out of the legislature between you and the other party, the uh, bank or financial institution, whatever. <clears throat> they're going to say, what is, that is the law of this case. So what does the contract say? What did you two agree to? And that's what they're going oh. to uphold. Okay. So... If it goes, if it's the original creditor, we both agreed for on, you know, FRN notes. So that was right. the method of payment back and forth. So okay. if this goes to a third-party collector, we have no agreement in the first place, but they're now demanding. Okay. Did you agree that the bank or bank could or the credit card company could uh, assign the debt to someone else? Was that in the agreement? Yes, it is in the agreement. But the, the, well, yeah, uh, on the contract, it's it's a, it's a vehicle of repossession. It's 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 old, but I'm just you know trying to clean right. things up and and uh, use my knowledge that I have now about all this stuff. So, but yeah, it does say they're they're assigning it to um, you know somebody that to finance the the loan. Um, but yeah, it's in the contract, obviously, for you know, okay. the, the U.S. currency well, denomination. That kind of restricts what you can do uh, at this point, but uh, it's not hopeless because uh, then you can now what you can do is what attorneys get paid to do, and that's um, negotiate, make them an offer, negotiate uh, a way to settle this thing so it doesn't have to go to court. The courts prefer that you do that anyway. Right, yeah, they want us to handle it privately, and that that's that was one of basic. That's what I was leading up to with my question is, uh, and you answered it. But is you know, hey, you're asking me to do this, um, but the only legal method of currency is is gold and silver. You know what's going on here? But then you mentioned, well, the contract originally stipulated this form of currency, and that was agreed upon. So that answered my question. Right. Yeah, so I thought I could get clever. Um, No, most of of us learn the hard way that we're the authors of most of our problems when it comes to legal matters and commercial matters. Yeah. And we do it out of ignorance. I'm I'm no different. You know, uh, 40 years ago, I didn't know any more than most people about this stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely appreciate the uh, the explanation. All right, but but now well, you know how to now you now you know how not to repeat the mistake. Right. <laughs> exactly. Hey, have you guys ever straightened out any of those highways back there? In Tennessee? Yeah. Um, not too much. I mean, they're okay. It's, I mean. I-24 still a parking lot every day. You got some some guy wanting to test out the the uh, the hardness level of a concrete barrier in the middle of a freeway. Trying to no, no, I'm not talking in. about freeways. I'm talking about your state highways. I went through there in a, oh. in a trailways bus once back in the 70s, and as we were going through the Appalachian area, uh, we went around. I remember going around one 
corner on one of those highways that was so tight that the bus had to use both sides of the road to get around it. Oh, oh, yeah, they're, they're I mean, I'm a truck driver. Um, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I go down, I actually had to, I had to train in, uh, I had to train in, on those little two-lane highways and roadways and stuff, and yeah, I know what you're talking about, and they're, they're pretty scary. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, they haven't fixed them. <laughs> oh, no. okay. <laughs> All right, thanks for your question. I All think Sonia right, has a question. I was going to, yes, Tad, what I was going to do is make a comment regarding the gentleman uh, from Tennessee uh-huh. and the contract. Um, what I have found, what I'm going to really do, because I've done a, I've, uh, I did a contract recently, a few months ago, and um, they sent me a notice regarding the undated and unsigned, and it said they discovered that the original contract they had left, or they called it agreement, they had left out um, some particular disclosure from the disclosure area that was required to be there. And so they called themselves correcting it um, with that. They had no date on the letter. They did not disclose at what point they discovered it. So what I did was, um, what this gentleman can do, I um, am going to go through, comb through every last line of the contract to make sure that it conforms in every way with the Truth in Lending Act. Good for you. If they made made any mistake, the contract is void. And that's what I would suggest that, that gentleman do from Tennessee. Get the contract. Look through, comb through every line of that contract and compare it to what they're supposed to have according to the Truth in Lending Act. And you can look up the requirements for the Truth in Lending Act on the, online. Okay, now one thing you want to be careful of what? is calling it a void contract. <clears throat> all, you've okay. done is esta- all you've done is established that it's voidable. Void- okay. In other words, you don't use conclusionary language at that point. Okay. But you have what, what, you can language, you can demonstrate that it is voidable. Okay. Okay. And if anything is wrong, you can show that it's um, the lack of full disclosure. Exactly. Uh huh. And for me, with mine, um, because of the fact that they left that information out, that's also um, I can get a. Um, a specified sum according to the Truth in Lending Act, which I intend on doing. I couldn't find, I can't, I couldn't find where I put my contract specifically. It, I know I didn't toss it. It's around here someplace. So I sent them a uh, request, not mentioning any of this. I sent them a request for a uh, for a, a, a true, exact, true copy of the signed contract. Right. And then I intend on going over every line of the contract and comparing it with Tila. Right. That's it. Oh, Monty, <laughs> I got a question for you. We, I just thought about this one. We when last time on the last uh, pro on the last uh, show, yeah. we were discussing. Uh, I brought up to you about the California Constitution, and uh-huh. the um, I thought 
that they were wrong when they said the um, uh, that title that uh, Article 13 was um, added. Article 13, I found, I have told Tad, Article 13 of the California Constitution, what they did was with that proposition, they repealed the entire article. And uh, they repealed the entire article and then added the uh, Article 13 back with all of these changes. However, the um, legislative analyst uh, summary did not include, they, they glossed over uh, by not including that, um, by the way, you can't, we're adding that you can't sue unless you pay the, pay uh, whatever it is that even if you feel that it's illegally assessed, you have to pay the entire amount first and then you can sue. So would that still be misrepresentation? Um, it still comes back to the same thing is, is if they're, um, it's kind of like setting them up. First, you have to ask them what what specifically you're demanding as payment. Mm-hmm. What is the substance? What is what are you asking for? Okay. And uh, you know, is, is it uh, gold and silver coin? Is it paper currency? Is it uh, road apples? What is it? What are you asking for? And then when they nail it down, because they, they're there's no way they can get around Article One, Section Ten, if okay. it involves if it involves compulsion. In other words, at that point, if they demand something other than gold and silver coin for our Article One, Section Ten, then uh, you can challenge them on that and say, "Where's your authority to do that?" Can I answer your question. Yeah, thanks, Monty. Yeah, right. it's like, where's your authority to compel me to do that? That's like compel- saying you have the authority to compel me to rob a bank. I don't think you've got that authority. All right. I think we have Genevieve. Well, my goodness. <laughs> what are you laughing for? Because <laughs> of you. Yes, silly. <laughs> I'm not silly. Uh, oh, no, I'm very serious. <laughs> You're silly serious. I, You're seriously silly. Yeah, seriously silly. <laughs> That's the way I like it. Well, hello, you, both of you. Hi. Hello, one of you. <laughs> Well, well, Dad knows all about serious, uh, silly seriousness. Does he? Well, yeah, just, a, silly. Just, just ask him about Sasquatch sometime. Face uh, sport. <laughs> mm, that could be interesting. I'm not leaving my front door. <laughs> okay, well, it's time to ask about Sasquatch then, isn't it? <laughs> Do tell. Uh, he's not a big fan of beef jerky. He beats up everybody that has it. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing with squatch. (laughs) So, guess what? I've got questions. All right. Fire away. Oh, boy. Hey, Genevieve. Yeah? You been arrested yet? 
No, I haven't. I'm not oh. out on the road yet. I'm still <laughs> <laughs> I'm still uh getting everything all prepared. Okay. So but I'm really, really ready. So uh regarding our notice of schedule of fees and charges, uh-huh. does does the size of the envelope that we use for mailing make any difference? Or you know, does it have to be in a business size envelope? No, I don't think it makes any difference at all. Good. Okay. I'm just checking because I ran out of the, the full-size envelopes. Unless you're going to include it with a sympathy card or something. No. Uh. <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> and Okay. So now I'd like to ask questions about the power of attorney. Mm-hmm. You said that when Statutes are enacted. The presumption is that unless you say otherwise, they apply to you because you didn't say they don't apply to you. And that we need to basically inform them, I'm not a registered voter. I do not intend to be. I do not want you representing me for anything, and you can't do so by tacit procuration or any other mechanism. Well, you can do it that way, or, um, I mean, I I don't know if I sent one to the uh, to Tad yet or not. Years ago, I did a affidavit uh, regarding uh, prosecutorial authority, denial thereof. But if you wait till after they try to do something with it, you can say, um, um, where is your evidence that I've agreed to your political code. Oh. Because in Oregon, as I mentioned in that table of titles, I don't know if they're still publishing that or not, but in that table of titles, it's in the handbooks. I laid it out in there, too. Uh-huh. It's just the table of titles is a single sheet of paper. It's just one page, and it lays it out really, so it's easy to represent really quick. Um. <clears throat> that was up in the uh, introductory section of the paper-bound ORSs that you find in every library. But that was a number of years ago, and I don't know if they're still putting that in there or not. Uh, and, you know, you have re- uh, remedial code, which is what establishes the courts and the remedies and all that. Um, I think there's three titles in there. I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh, then there's the civil code, and I think there's about five titles in there. And then there's uh, criminal or penal code, and there's about three titles in there. And all the rest of the titles, which is over 80% of the ORSs, are class- classified as political code. And so where where do they get off using the police power of the state to enforce a political code if you're not a registered voter? Right. Okay. So your position there is, do you have any evidence that I've agreed to this political code? Well, and they if don't they can't have... produce that, if they can't produce that, then where's the presumption? So, so for example, um, I, uh, oh, what do you call it? Hmm. Brain blank. Uh, Okay, yeah, let so, me give you an example of that. Another, 
another type of example of that. Okay. You, you know, since you're in Oregon, for decades, they they repeatedly try to push through a sales tax, and it keeps getting rejected by the people. Um, Oregon's one of two or three states that doesn't have sales tax. And the people keep turning it down, and they every once in a while they'll keep putting it back in there for another vote. And it's like, once they get the voters to agree to it, uh, do you ever see them proposing to repeal it? <laughs> Never. Right. They'll keep repeating it, repeating it, repeating it on what they want until they get it. And then if you try to put in something to get rid of it, um, it just goes dead in the water. So that's kind of another example of what we're talking about. But go ahead. Well, um, when I uh, rescinded my voter reg a couple of years ago, I haven't signed any more agreements with the state at all. Hmm. So, well, so, let me let me add this: you can still do you can still sign agreements with the state. Just qualify your signature, because the only way they can come at you, because of the way the system's set up now. It's all commerce, it's all UCC, et cetera. <clears throat> the only way that it can come at you is through that fiction with the all capital letter name mm-hmm. and and use presumptions that you are representing that, acting okay. in a representative capacity, and you're responsible for it, just like a trustee is responsible for a trust. Okay? And I do have some questions about that, but, but I kind of want to keep on this particular aspect of the power of attorney. Right. Well, I'm just saying you don't, you you know, all I'm pointing out is that, you know, you may find yourself in a situation where you almost have to sign some kind of an agreement or a contract with the state. Just qualify your signature with the non-assumptive. Okay. Because after that, it really doesn't matter. You just ripped away the presumptions and you ripped away their ability to come at you directly. And that would be true of, uh, uh, for example, Social Security uh, agreements or whatever happens every year. They send a questionnaire out asking a variety of questions, and then and then it needs to be signed. And right. I've qualified it in the past, but the non-assumption sounds like it would be the best. Yeah, and when you write it in the Latin. That conforms to the UCC because because it is in Latin, it stands out. And under the UCC, if you're going to give somebody a notice, it has to be conspicuous. Okay. And that okay. makes it conspicuous. So, um, and you really don't have to do anything else. You don't have to put it in the UCC 1-207 uh, without prejudice and all this other stuff. All of that is covered when you say, you can't come at me through a fiction. Oh, I love it. I love it. And you've also said um, you have to notice quite a few people, mainly the legislature, where you basically say you are, uh, and then you interrupt yourself and say, it's how you handle tacit procurations. And in my notice and precipice regarding the schedule of fees and charges, I've included the statement, quote, you are sworn to your oath of office, and I accept your oath of office, and your responsibility to uphold my rights at all times. 
I do not authorize you to act as my procurator under any circumstances, end quote. That works it, fine. Now, now you will, but you've said mainly the legislature needs to be noticed. And I don't know who at the legislature should I notice. Um, well, uh, you could the uh, president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House would be the first two that come to mind. Okay. And then the mm, there's a committee, and I don't know. Um, no, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but they're all bar maggots. Um, that every bill that's passed by the legislature goes through that committee or through that office, and they clean up the language on it. And in the course of doing that, they, of course, they corrupt it. Because, um, um, you know, it, it always comes back to the same thing. The bar runs this place. I don't care what, what branch you're talking about. The bar maggots run it, and they run it for their own profit. Okay. And we got we got a comment, I think, I'm trying to remember who said it. I think it was David White at that time who was the in charge of the risk management for the state of Oregon. He said every statute that's enacted, either directly or indirectly, is designed to generate revenue. And then oh. you have to, the next question is, generate revenue for who? <laughs> okay? Yeah. And... When, and a good example of that, as far as the answer, is when you go to court, it doesn't matter whether you win or you lose or you compromise or whatever. There's only one group of people that never lose. They always win financially, and that's the bar maggots. Sure. Okay? <laughs> okay. So, so you might want to keep that in mind. Um with regard to that. And and sticking with this power of attorney thing, Paul had said you have to file an exclusive power of attorney saying you're the owner of that property and that you're the attorney in fact, actually. No, so, that is not going to fly, and I'll tell you why. You probably have a state statute that says you cannot do a DBA using your own name. So how, you know, when you create a trust with a name and it's the same as yours, that's the same as a DVA. So if you're trying to take a power of attorney over the uh, fiction with the capital letter name, you have to have the first question is who created that entity? You didn't. State statute doesn't allow you to. Oh, okay. So why would you want... I mean, what gives you the authority to take power of attorney over the uh, over that fiction that you didn't create? Okay, so I have a private power of attorney on a UCC three, and that and it it does exactly what you were saying. I have an agreement supposedly with my all caps name. Right now, <clears throat> has that ever been challenged in court? No, no. Mm-mm. But um, what should I do if you're saying that that that's basically void or it doesn't matter at all? What what should I do? Just remove it from my filing? 
from my um, UCC filing? Yeah, you could. You could do an amended filing. Okay. And and on that amended filing, I would say I am removing the private power of attorney. Right, and then just put the uh, non-essential qualifier on your signature. So do, it would do so, two things with one stroke. Oh, so so basically, on a on a separate sheet on a sheet of paper, I'm going to write, I am removing um, this private power of attorney from, and it's no longer valid. And and then sign it, and then I put that notice on my UCC3. Yeah, right above your signature. Then later on, if it ever gets challenged or becomes an issue, you can say, who authorized you to use um, that all capital letter name or who authorized you to presume that I have anything to do with that fiction? Because I gave you notice that I don't. So where, where do you, where's your source of authority on this? Okay. Oh, okay. That's the, the only step I'm recommending puts you in the driver's seat if it gets challenged. Good. Good. I, I, I really, I just as soon remove it and then not have, not have any opportunity for challenge. Yeah. In other words, um, if they create the trust, um, it, you know, it, it operates some, very much like a trust in that regard. If they create that fiction and they create a, a trust entity that's a fiction, and they want to create a presumption that you are in some way responsible for it, such as a trustee, for managing that thing, um, under trust law, you cannot be compelled to be a trustee. That's involuntary servitude. So <clears throat> they have to be able to provide evidence that you agreed to be a trustee for that entity. Okay. And and you said um okay, let me find that question because it is something that has to do with hmm, I can't find it. Um it has to do with the name and about about oh heck Never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't have to be sorry. Oh, brain fart. Okay. 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 So here we go. These are my questions for the all caps name. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to this power of attorney. You said that my having the power of attorney for the all caps name is self-serving, and that I can't be the maker and the recipient of a power of attorney at the same time, it's a nullity. And then you said, if I wanted to put a notice in that I accept no liability by or through that fiction, I could do it, and it would cover me legally. Um, and I could still transact business by and through that all-caps name. Well, that's what you just said. And then... Okay, well, what I'm saying there is, uh, if they insist on not changing their computer um, program, and they can, but they don't, um, and continue with the all-caps name, like telephone company or power company or whatever, um, 
you just keep signing with the qualifier, the non-assumption qualifier. Um, and what that does is um, you don't have any other option to handle that transaction by any other means, like lawful money. All right? Right. Now, remember I said something else, too. Necessity excuses the law. Remember I was talking about captions, and you come back as, as a three-party uh, caption. You come in as, as your title case name as the aggrieved intervener of necessity. Right. When you use that term, necessity, it excuses the law, it excuses the rules. Excuses me from them. Yeah. In other words, if you act out of necessity, um, in other words, it's like self-defense. If somebody's attacking you and you end up whacking them and killing them, you can't be charged with murder because you have the right to defend yourself. That is an instance of necessity. Necessity excuses the law, and that's why you cannot be charged with murder in a self-defense case. Same thing on a lesser scale. Okay. So... Yeah, I'm looking at my questions, seeing which ones are relevant now. Well, on on this, um, I, I accept no liability by or through the fictional all caps name. Can can that statement be put in this uh, notice of schedule of fees and charges letter that I may notice that I'm mailing out? Um, it would have to be it would have to be incorporated in such a way that uh any use of that name to deprive you of your property i e your rights um, would be included so but i i don't there's really no reason for that because um, you can always bring it up later. Well, I'm thinking <laughs> I'm thinking of saving money with and not having to do too many mailings. <laughs> oh, I know, but the thing is, um what you're doing is you're you're building yourself a suit of armor with this stuff, uh, and lets them know that if they want to monkey with you, it's gonna cost them and it costs them heavily. Okay. So it's just better to leave you alone. Because that's how they operate everything now. And that's, again, from David White in Risk Management. It's all about revenue. It's all about the money. And they run the entire program uh, like a casino in Nevada. They work <laughs> the odds. They figure out. <clears throat> in other words, every new statute that comes out of the legislature, the state legislature, has to pass muster with the um, uh, attorney general's office. And his primary job, according to uh, White, his primary job is to figure out, uh, get out his little slipstick and figure out the numbers, the math, 
whether it's going to whether they can make money off the enforcement of that statute or if it's going to cost them more to try and enforce it. If the cost is, outweighs the benefit, they it'll still sit there, but they won't enforce it. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, if circumstances change so that they can actually start making a profit by enforcing it, then they will start enforcing it because it's still sitting there on the books. Right. Like not eating peanuts in church, I hear, is a law someplace still on the books. <laughs> Probably. I wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me. I read that some time ago and laughed. Well, um, I knew a guy, see there's if you can afford afford to pay the fee, um you can do you can be sitting in jail or prison or whatever and do a show cause hearing with the court. There's a fee and if you can afford to pay it. There's no limit on on how many of those you can do. And apparently there was a guy down in Georgia or someplace like that who had quite a lot of money actually. So he wasn't that was not a problem. And he was filing show cause things about every month because he was in, he was in for two or three four years something. And um, <clears throat> he filed show cause after show cause after show cause. Of course they got denied, but it ties up the court, ties up the system. What finally broke the, or what the judge finally did something in that case that is unheard of. He shut him off. He told the clerk, "You will file no more um, show cause hearings for this individual." Wow. Period. Period. And <clears throat> what what brought him to that point was the the previous the last show cause that this guy filed. Um, with the court was he wanted the judge and the prosecutor to come forth at the hearing and show cause why they shouldn't kiss his ass. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when the judge said enough was enough. (laughs) Oh. Oh. And now how how come they have, how how can they say, no, we're not going to show cause? How can they they deny that fella his right, I guess, to have the show cause answered? Well, they didn't have any authority to do that beyond the fact that um, he was actually, if you read your statutes on contempt, if you do things that are intentionally and, and persistently disruptive to the court and its business, that is contempt. And they can jail you indefinitely for that. Really? Indefinitely? I know of one woman that the IRS demanded uh, under their discovery uh, on the interrogatories, they wanted her uh, her to produce documents. She refused to do it, so they threw her in, in jail. And she sat there for over a year on a contempt charge. But why, but why would it? Why would that fella who let's say his very first one, it was a legitimate show cause, not being, you know, smart alecky. Um, how could they deny him his request for the show cause? They didn't deny the earlier ones. He just didn't prevail. 
Oh, oh, okay. Okay. It was just the last one, which was so obvious that he was uh, mooning the uh, court. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. Um, I think I have one more. One more. I hope one more only. Okay. Um. Oh, uh, yes, this is the last one on that topic, and that is regarding the notice of schedule of fees and charges mm-hmm. letters that I'm sending out. Now, one of the people that I'm going to be sending this to, uh, ha- I wrote to a few years ago asking um, with a, a notice a notice in precipice, and this was the director of transportation. Uh-huh. And... And then and did three letters and then a an a, an estoppel by acquiescence. So I'm going to send him this new new notice. Do I need to say anything about the previous one? Like this this supersedes any previous uh, anything previously any previous correspondence or anything like that. Being being more recent, that's automatic anyway. Oh okay. <coughs> Okay, good. Don't have to worry about that. Um, regarding the Constitution, something that mm-hmm. you said intrigued me about in the original Constitution, it said it doesn't say probable cause; it says provable cause. Right. So, because most people don't know that, you would continue to say, "What's your probable cause?" No, I say I say it as it is. I say provable cause. Oh, you, you mean do? probable cause? No, I mean provable cause. That's oh. what the original document says. Let them prove otherwise. Oh, okay. Great. You know, if they you want to insist on probable cause, um, that's no different than uh, throwing the dice. Well, right. probably he <laughs> might do that, but then again, he might not. I mean, yeah. what's you know, probable is pure speculation. Provable is not. It means you have evidence to, to support. Excellent, excellent. Oh, that's a great point. Um, and if you read the original documents, their cursive style was different in those okay. days. And the F's and the S's are very easily confused. Yeah. By the way, by the way, we read English now uh, and style it. And um, the B's and the V's were easily confused. And if you look at the word probable and provable, that, those are, that's the only letter that changes. That's interesting. So when, you, when you look at the original Constitution, or Bill of Rights, actually, um, it's provable, not probable. Great. Okay, how about signing a form or a card at the bank? <laughs> this is from your your uh, one of your volumes, one of your books okay. that you wrote. Um, Just put the non-essential thing above your signature. That's what I did when I opened a credit union account up here where I am. Um, and I explained it to the manager of the credit union what it what it, I was doing, why, and what that phrase meant in English. And they had no problem with it. Oh. Um well, I've already got a bank account, and I signed that signature card years ago. 
is okay. there and I went in actually oh I don't know about a year or two ago to uh try to to change it and they wouldn't let me do it. No, of course not. They don't want to change the original contract and they have that right under that contract. Ah. So the only way you can get around that now is to go in there and say, I'm closing this account, I'm opening a new one. And then they're going to say, why? None of their business. Oh. It's none of their business. Oh, see, good good Catholic girl. Never say no to the the person in charge. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. If they want, if they insist on knowing why, you just say that's because that's what I want to do. <laughs> Are you saying I can't? Now you flipped it around on them because you can say, well, if you're saying I can't, I want to know why. <laughs> Is there anything else in um, in opening up a bank account? I mean, you've got an easy way to deal with that. I mean, if they, if they say, want to know why you want to close that account, you just say, I'm, I think I might be a victim of identity theft, and I want to close the account and open a new one. Well, and that's probably true, huh? Uh, sure. I mean, <laughs> use your, you, you have a fecund imagination. Use it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's Monty, it's that Catholic upbringing. I tell you, it's just... It's, you know, really hemmed me in, let's put it that way. I've got something for you along those lines. You do? Have you ever ever heard that um, musical ditty uh, was done some years ago, um, The Vatican Rag? No. Go on YouTube, punch in Vatican Rag, you'll love it. Oh, I will. All right, I'll look that up. It should be funny. Yeah, um, that's, that's when they were still doing black and white film. Black and white what? Film. Oh, oh. Wow, when we were children. Yes. Okay, so so that's, oh, that's excellent. So I don't have to, oh, that's going to make it so easy compared to what I thought I was going to have to do. Always thinking of the worst case scenario. Well, be prepared for the worst, but and hope for the best. Mm. But what you're prepared for, I have found, it generally doesn't happen because you're ready for it. Okay. And I've this is on a different topic. You have said I think when people figure out their status and how to act in the private. It's as much how you act as what you have to do. When you've got your private status, they're going to pay more attention to you. Uh, it, depends on, it depends on how big of a splash you make. You want to just dive into the pool or you want a cannonball in? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what I need to know first off is what do you mean by private status? Uh, non-political. Oh, I see. In other words, you're not part of the herd. You're not part of the group mentality. You're not part of the voter registration thing. You're not part of any of that. <clears throat> Bill of Rights doesn't protect any of that. It protects you uh, from that. That's what the Bill of Rights was created for, was to protect you against mob rule by 
i.e. through the legislature or any instrumentalities of the government. So they would protect you against um, organized groups of people. There's no organized crime. Hell, the FBI will tell you this. There's no organized crime outside the government. They don't... Um, yeah, they they don't believe there's any organized crime outside of government. Wow. So uh, so how do, how does one act in private? How do you want to act? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I suppose. Well, so what I'm thinking of when you say act in private is. For example, putting the non-assumption above my my signature, that that's an action in private, right? No. No, that's a public notice. Oh, okay. So how do? Well, in other words, it's like saying to your neighbor, uh, "You're welcome to visit me in my home, but I don't allow you to pole dance in the living room." <laughs> okay. Well then, well then, what do you mean how to act in private? I don't how to act in private. I can do anything I want in private as long That's as I'm right. not harming anybody. You just said it. You just said the whole thing right there. Okay. As long as you don't harm anybody or violate their rights, you can do whatever you want to do. So, the the way to do all of that is. Just to correct your status and okay, I'm making more out of it than than there is, I guess. Yeah, and you know, as I mentioned before, like on the traffic step, um, <clears throat> as far as a police officer having uh, constitutional pro- approvable cause. Um, you know, I mean, they have the authority if they observe you handling an automobile in a in a manifestly um, reckless manner or a, in any way that constitutes a public menace. They have the authority because they have a duty to protect everyone's rights, right. not just yours, but everybody else that's out there on the street. So they have to make some judgment calls in that regard, and I don't envy a, a police officer, not in today's world. Mm-mm. No. <clears throat> Either. Well, I think that I think it's time for me to get off and let someone else ask a question, so I will get Well, off. we do have somebody else that has their hand raised. Yes, I know. I think I it's see our that. gentleman from Tennessee again. Yeah, Let's see what he has to say. Thanks, Genevieve. Well, thank you, Tad. Thank you, Monty. I appreciate you both so much. Okay. I can tell you, I'm blessing you all the time. Uh oh. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Okay. The Middle Tennessee guy, I think. Okay. Yeah. I. Um. That the lady that was just on. I uh, want to applaud and thank her for her questions that she asked uh, towards the end there, because. Um, and so my my question is kind of in line with that. Again, I'm I'm fairly new. I do catch on quick. Um, but uh, my question is, um, in light of all the information that I'm getting, um, 
I've kind of gone through this phase of being an information overload to then finally a light bulb going off and, and, and just that one little light bulb goes off and then everything else like makes sense. I'm kind of in that situation right now. Um, my only question is, well, not only question, I have, I have a couple questions if you don't mind, but I have a question and my first question regards to what, what benefit does changing my status, becoming a secured party creditor, um, what what are the overall benefits aside from the obvious of you know hey you know I I I now have the ability to assert my rights and you know my children are my own and 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 so forth which which is very important obviously but what what are the other benefits I mean what can I do I have a LLC like as a truck driver I mean I don't want to be you know operating a commercial vehicle get pulled over you know who are you. Okay. What can I see? Some identification. What authority do you have? You know. Um, are Are you an owner uh, operator, or, or are you working for somebody else? Tad called me a slave the other day. <laughs> yeah, I'm an owner operator <laughs> as a as a lease as a, a a lease agreement holder for a truck. So, um, okay. I am uh, I'm a I'm a company whipping boy, so to speak. So. All right. Well, then you're going yeah. to be bound by that lease agreement. That's the contract, um, and that's the law as it pertains to that. Right. Uh, in other words, if you want to get an idea of the difference between public law and private law, if you have a chance to get into a, a law library somewhere, um, and I mean a good one, like either a law school or a Supreme Court law library. They will have in there the um, under the statutes at large in that section. They will have private law. Congress does enact private law. It has no effect on anyone else other than the, the person that they enacted it for. Right. So it's a private law between the United States government and that individual. And the states can do the same thing. They can do private law. They don't do it much, but they can do it. They have the authority. But it's essentially bringing it back under contract law because it constitutes a legislatively endorsed contract between the state and you. That's private law. Yeah, they can have a representative and we can handle the matter privately. Right. Yeah. And and that particular statute or law has no application to anyone else out there except you. You know, before they had Social Security, that's how they paid their retired military officers. Right. It was private law, private enactments. Okay, so what, I mean, what can I do, um, not what can I get away with, I mean, because obviously we could do whatever we want as long as we, you know, in my opinion, follow the uh, laws of the creator, I think we're in harmony there. But as far as finances and, and 
dealing and credit and and what have you. I mean, I'm kind of I'm like not seeing the full picture. Is okay. Well, what's the benefit aside from being out of slavery? That's that's a big plus. But um, well, yeah. Going back to what I was talking to Genevieve about, um, when you put the non-assumption qualifier on your signature, uh, it's in a form that they can recognize. And what you're basically saying is, um, if you want to come at me, through a court or otherwise, administratively, it doesn't matter. If you want to come at me, you are, I do not agree that you can come at me through a fiction. And that's the best protection you can get because um, they, the, from a political standpoint, from a constitutional standpoint, uh, you have rights, the fiction does not. And the only way, because of the requirements of the Constitution, um, they can't create an obligation against you without your agreement through the device of presumption with regard to the all capital letter fiction that they created, you created. You don't create that. You don't sign your name that way. You don't print it. You don't write it that way. Okay. And you call that a, a non-what qualifier? Um, <clears throat> okay. I, yeah, you're new to this, so I'll, I'll repeat it. It's a non-assumpsit. Well, just like it sounds. Assumpsit. A-U-S-S. U M P S E T A S S U M S I T or P S I T. Oh, okay, F I T, not E T. Right, right. non-assumpted per P E R. Item. Uh, and then the next word is item. I D E M. Okay. Sonans. S O N A S. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm getting a little bit fogged myself here. Uh, S O N A S. Sonans. S O. Okay, so I have non. A sumset per idem, I-D-E-M, demands. No, sonans. Oh, sonans. S-O-N-A-S. Okay, per idem, sonas. Okay, and persona, single N. Sonus persona. Picta. F I C T A. Oh, it's Latin. Yeah. Okay. And so what that translates to in English is I accept no liability by or through any fictitious entity that has a name that sounds the same as mine when spoken. You've just 
ripped away all their presumptions. You've ripped away their ability to come at you through about you being responsible for what they create. And you've ripped away uh, any, pre any pretense about coming at you through a fiction that you did not create, nor are you responsible for. So you summed up a whole bunch of law with that qualifier. Oh, got it. So this just starts it starts off their limitations on what they can do right at the beginning at, upon signing a, an agreement or contract. Right. You apply for driver's license, you can put that over your signature. You apply for a bank account, you can put that over your signature. And in other words, your signature, uh, I've mentioned before, if they don't have the authority through the Constitution, they have to obtain that authority directly from you, and your signature is evidence of a granting of that authority. And it's under contract law. You have an absolute right to contract, including doing your. Because when you do a contract and you sign it, you're legislating. You're directly exercising the legislative power. <clears throat> you're creating law. It's not general law, it's private law, but you are creating law. Um, and that's how the courts look at it, too. So when you qualify it, you're making it part of the contract that they cannot come at you in the courts or administratively in any other way, by or through, that's what per means, by or through any fictitious entity. And the presumption is uh, called the uh, item sonans doctrine. In other words, there's two, two different ways to spell Lawrence or Terry or a number of other names. And so they, have, they created this doctrine that if it sounds the same when spoken, that's the same individual. They're, mis they're abusing that by using it with these all capital letter uh, trust entities and creating the presumption that you're somehow responsible for it. But when you qualify your signature like that, you're taking all that away from them. You say, I noticed you conspicuously that I don't assume any liability for this thing. And so, let's say uh, I was to get a, an automobile or a credit card or something, I put this on there, I sign the agreement, and then, you know, they do what they do. They sell off the contract or the credit card company sends me the the bill. I imagine yeah. I've, never had a, I've never had a credit card. so But I imagine they send the bill and then... Um, so I, I essentially, then, even if I do discharge that debt by accepting the value of it with this uh, with this uh, signature or uh, qualifier, kind of limits what they can do. Uh, as but far it, as just, yeah, as far as compelling you, it brings you fully under the protection of Article One, Section Ten, as well as all of the Bill of Rights. Okay. As, as I mentioned to Genevieve, it, it protects you against majority rule. That's why I was put there. Okay. And those are declaratory and restrictive clauses. 
and that's very significant because when they're, since they're declaratory, they can't be amended, modified, or changed in any way. They're, they are perpetual. They can't be modified by the legislature. They, they can't be modified by anyone, not even through the amendment process. Um, and being restrictive, that means that all the other exercise of powers, state or federal, I don't care who it is, the exercise of all other powers contained in that document have to fall under those restrictions. Those are restrictive clauses. That's in the preamble on the Bill of Rights. Okay. So, it, not that I would do this because I want to be honorable, but let's say if I got a credit card or a vehicle and, you know, I, I didn't pay for it or chose not to pay for it or ignored it or what have you. Now, you're causing injury to the stockholders of that company, that financial institution. Right. So, so I have to. Not a, yeah, so that would be an unlawful act. That would be an immoral act. Right, because it's wicked to borrow and not repay. So I. Essentially, but I can't assert my right to have that discharged dollar for dollar. If you want, if they're agreeable, sure. It's only when they try to compel you under state law. And all property is in the states. So if they don't accept it and then they compel me under state law, a vehicle would be under state law. So if they compel me to pay and they don't accept my instrument. Well, well how are they going to – in other words, if you have property and they want to they want to try and uh, repo your car or, or um, obtain uh, satisfaction on a money judgment or whatever, they always have to go through the state courts for a writ of execution. Because all property is in the states. Gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. All right. Oh, and and uh, another question. I've looked uh, high and low. Um, I know on uh, you have the right. There, there's information on there. Um, mm -hmm. There's. Uh, um, some other sites, I just went all hog wild and crazy and paid for a bunch of memberships and stuff. And I thought, well, let me, let me just slow down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me just slow Good down idea. and find, find the ones that, that are really going to benefit me and then do it again. Um, but you know, in other words, I'm not encouraging you to go to court. I don't want you to play Perry Mason. I don't want you to get up on a soapbox and, and, uh, evangelize, uh, like the, uh, um, some of the preachers did back in the 18th century. Right. Um, in other words, you have to take what is useful to you from this information uh, so that you can enjoy your, your, you know, this is the only planet we have. You've got one, time, one shot at it to enjoy it. Um, that should be the object of what you're doing. Right. In other words, if you want to go on a crusade, go ahead, but don't ask me to come along on it. Uh, no, no, I, I'm I'm not trying to, you know, live a frivolous lifestyle or anything like that. Just just a peaceful one. Of, but um. Well, we do have somebody like, else that's waiting, so if you can. Yeah, yeah. Kind of quick. 
yeah, yeah. I, my question, the last question is like, where where is the updated information? Like, I, I the creditors and commerce site like it's really old. Um, some other sites out there like they have you know wonderful content. It's just really old. Is there anything new? Any any of the groups that are modern that people keep up with? Beside you know we got the talk show, but I tend to doubt it because uh, the the uh, they've commercialized this thing so much, and it's been in place for so long. I don't see there being very many changes. So a lot of that stuff that you think is stale dated is still current. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, let me get off here and be uh, polite to somebody else. I got a question. That's that's all I got. Okay. Go log into your membership and check out some of the downloads from uh, Monty, his uh, documents. Read them. Okay. A lot of good stuff. All right. Thank you. Okay. So. I think North and Central Orange County. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah, your phone's just muted. Is that Tanya? No. Dana. Hi. Oh, hi. Dana. Dana. Hi there. Yeah. Dana. I want to talk to you about your situation. Uh, Give me a call when you can. Okay. Awesome. So, Monty, hello. I want to ask you. Uh, is the non-assumption signature opposite of when we use authorized rep signature? And is there a place to use one or the other depending on what you want to do? Uh, can you rephrase that question, please? The non, is the non-assumption signature opposite of the use of calling yourself the authorized rep of the all caps name signature? And is there a place to use one or the other depending on what you want to do? Well, I mean, if you, when you use the authorized rep, you're actually reducing your status because now you're an agent. Right, but does that not still keep you separated from it? Because you're not saying you are it, nor are you saying you're the surety you're only saying you're the authorized rep. No, because it goes back to the uh, precept of law that um, uh, the relationship between a principal and an agent. So hmm. um, you just sidestep all of that by just simply saying non assumptive In other words, you're, okay. you're saying, you know, um, it's kind of like the analogy I used, I don't know, a couple, three, four weeks ago. Um, I don't care if they want to play in their sandbox as long as they don't get sand on my carpet. <laughs> well, I can definitely see using not a sunset when you're trying to stay away from anything they are trying to compel you to do. Right. However, if you want to deal in um, discharge and negotiable instruments and you want to use your exemption number and that kind of a thing. If you want to do it voluntarily, you have the right to do that. Should you not then be the authorized rep? So that you have authority to do that. Yeah, but why would you want to do that? I thought it was necessary. No, I mean, if you're going to be a living person with rights, um, and quite a few of them, you can do it as long as it's not injurious to anyone else. You can do whatever you want to do as long as it's voluntary. 
Well, by their forms, and I even tried a, a FOIA PA form on some of my stuff. Unless you could say, under penalty of perjury, you're at least the authorized rep, they won't talk to you. You have to have some sort of authority to ask for that person's account information. Um, um, okay, I mean, then this is involving some other person, living person? Um, no, uh, my all caps came, name account, social security number, for instance, uh-huh. exemption number information. Okay. Um, well, they do a similar thing with the military. If you want military records, uh, they you have to be authorized to access those. Uh, right. That seems to be the only way they would, unless you had a POA in place, but I just heard you guys talking about being careful to not have this. You're saying be careful not to be the same I guess, individual. However, if you have successfully separated yourself, um, even though your name sounds the same, Uh but it's one's a fiction and one is living, and you make that perfectly clear, because every fiction needs something living to give it energy or do anything with it. That's right. A fiction cannot articulate itself. Um, Can't find anything, can't create anything, can't do anything without the living to consent to sign for it. Um, But yet, I know we want to stay separate. Yeah, but what what are you trying to obtain here? Well, we're talking about private versus public um, things that we want to do. And there's right. times we want to be completely private, especially if the state's trying to compel you under state law to do something you do not want to do right. uh, or you want, you want to stay separate from it. But at other times, such as in the case of um, using this exemption account or uh, uh, negotiable instruments, discharge, that kind of a thing, I believe that you probably need to be the authorized rep to do that. Now, if you've done secured party and fixed your status and all that, hopefully you have all that groundwork in place to show that you are separate um, so that you can more safely use it and make sure you're not the surety. You don't want to be the surety for it, but you want to be the authorized rep so you can get the business and commerce and, and all that done. Okay, so you're obviously somewhat aware of the meaning of the word capacity. Yes. Um, so, so some some things you want to have a certain capacity, and other things uh, a private capacity completely, and other times you want to have that uh, public capacity. Right, and you can act you different. Yeah, and you have the right to act at any capacity you want to, as long as it's not unlawful. That's what I thought. Um. So, so and and also, uh, have you heard of the? So what policy? I'm saying here is, you could probably continue with what you're wanting to do there as a authorized representative in that capacity at that time. 
But when you put the non-assumptions on there, you're saying that um, you're deflecting the liability from Correct. you. The li- you're deflecting the liability from you, the living woman. Correct. So okay. let me throw this question at you. Can you sign a form using that non-assumptive qualifier above your signature and then put below your signature you're still the authorized rep? Um, I wouldn't, kind of like a my practice, yeah, my practice has always been, at least in litigation, I never volunteer anything I don't have to. Okay. Yeah. In other words, if they put authorized rep in the in a box, if you read my books, you'll find out there's significance in the boxes too. Yes, I know about that. And the four corners okay. rule, I understand that. And yeah. I know you had books. I'm glad to hear that. Oh, no, it's not just the four corners thing. It goes beyond that. There's, you know, in some forms, there's multiple boxes, and uh, it's like uh, boxcars in a train. You know, it's interesting. I had to sign up for uh, some help getting food stamps, so to speak, Uh a couple years ago. And on their form, where you sign, it's in a box. Yeah, and some of the information is going to be in separate boxes, too. And you have no idea where those boxcars are going to end up. Okay. They put a... the train analogy. It says if they find out you've made more money than you reported, that they can come back after you at any time for it. Oh, yeah. But, and yet, there's, but uh, yet you sign in a box. Right. Well, you know, they they want the, because um, the authorization, the signature goes to one location. That box car drops off in this little town. Uh, another box in there with your uh, mailing address will go to a different destination. It's, the train analogy is a very, very good one on how that wow. works because each piece of information contained by a box is like a boxcar, and it, they don't all necessarily go to the same destination, uh, even though they're part of the same train. Wow, that's complex. <laughs> and sneaky. <laughs> um the uh, I mean, a lot of the people, the, the people that are there, the frontline people at the desk or the counter, um, they don't know any better than than anyone else the significance of that. Yeah, they're, just, they're doing their job. They don't uh-huh. know any better. They're just there doing their job. Um, so, um, you know, I when I go get cash out of the credit union, they want me to sign for it. And I do. And I look at the teller and I said, do you know what my signature is doing? And they said, how do you mean? And I said, do you know what my signature is authorizing? And they they said... Uh, creating the credit. <laughs> yeah, I said, that's what I told them. I'm, I'm creating the credit so you can go get more of these FRNs out of your supplier. I've never heard of having to sign to get cash out of a machine. That's wild. Well, the AGMs are a little bit different, but um, they have. The, believe me, if you have an ATM card, they've got a physical card with your signature on it somewhere, in order to get that card. Right. Right. So it's like a blanket authorization. 
Mm-hmm. They substitute the signature on each individual transaction with PIN numbers. Oh, my gosh. That should be illegal. Well, it should be. I mean, <laughs> um, I've often said that there's there should be a law against people who say there should be a law. <laughs> Signature <laughs> equals consent. And when they take that consent and put it in numerical values and this and that and say that's still your authorization and not wet ink and all that, it's just right. crazy. I don't, know, I, I don't know if you were listening to the previous program, but I... I said that there's. I don't consider it necessarily ethical or moral. There is a way out. If they can produce a document with your signature, they will ask you, is that your signature? They have to do that because you're the only one that can verify it. Unless you, you, you sign your no. card. <laughs> no, you can just, no, what you say is, uh, well, it resembles my signature, but I'd have to be a fool to sign something like this. I think this is a forgery. Now, who are they going to get to verify the signature? Unless you sign in front of a notary. That's why virtually every teller, every officer in most banks are notaries. They want to be able to have a notary say that they witnessed you signing something. Mm. All right. Well, hey, it's getting kind of late. I have one quick comment. That's okay. Uh, Have you heard of the California RA100 form, which is a resignation of agent upon whom process may be I'm understanding some people are filing this form to separate themselves so that they will no longer be served papers uh, of the all caps name. And some um, have been successful. Okay, that's great. Um, and to answer your question, no, I have not. Okay. It's got to be something fairly new. Um, I don't know. Uh, about course, that. Well, of course, with me, something fairly new uh, can be a decade ago because I've been in this game for most of my adult life. So, sounds like it. Thank you. And um, right. I'd like tell me about your books. Ask <laughs> uh, Dad. It's okay. Aaron Sovereign's Handbook. Start with that one. Aaron Sovereign's Handbook. Okay. Okay. Um, so, Monty, on the non-assumption per item, Sonin's persona ficta. Uh, Sonin's does that? Sonin's has one n or two? No, it's Sonan, so it's only one n. Okay. There we the go. O, the O is pronounced um, with a long dash above it. Okay. Sonan's. Well, somebody wanted to know, so we answered it. All right, well, that's it for tonight. Thank you very much, Monty. You bet. And we'll see you again next week, and everybody, thank you, and good night. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.